0: Hi there, and welcome to the Higher Development Podcast with your hosts, Colton Swab
1: and Gavin Aberatney. On this show, we'll share behind the scenes insights and lessons from our journeys in personal development, philosophy, mindset, and leadership. The goal with all of this is to help you integrate these various bodies of knowledge and reach a higher level of development so that you can live fully and in harmony with the world around you.
0: Beyond learning from us, you also get insider access to experts in the fields of neuroscience, high performance, and much, much more, making this a place to learn candidly what you won't anywhere else.
1: You can get access to the free resources we mentioned at highdevelopmentpodcast.com. So with all that said, let's get into today's episode. guys, so welcome to this uh, podcast with uh, Sean McCarthy. Um, Sean is a high performance coach who has helped you know, athletes achieve peak performance and is now working with executives to help them as well. Sean, I'll let you uh, take the mic and just uh, start off where our conversation was just going.
0: No problem. Well, well, Gavin, I appreciate it. And I think the big thing is is that when you're dealing with athletes, trauma is kind of normal because you're continually pushing yourself beyond limits. So you have these little micro-trauma situations where you training harder physically, or you're trying to achieve something mentally to be able to fine-tune a skill or reach a peak level, say it's a team that's trying to achieve to make it to the playoffs or win a championship. So they're constantly going to be pushing themselves with these little mini traumas. And so what happens is then maybe one of them gets injured, and because they're injured, it creates another level of trauma because they're not on the field being able to or the court or the place where they're performing sports so there's a whole trauma around the fact that they're not there and there's something limiting them and they have to go through the even flow of every aspect of their existence and what most people think about is that it's something tangible that you can touch and feel that's shaping things and what I found in dealing with athletes and dealing with my wife who injured her back who was top 10 in the world in tennis was that we tried everything in the physical realm, including top surgeons, head of neurosurgery, head of orthopedic surgery, Olympic doctor in the Netherlands, and, and then had a, a U.S.-based and a Dutch-based rehabilitation process. It didn't work. So the doctor at the French Open, when she tried to come back, said, well, it's all in your head. I said, okay, well, then fix it. He wasn't able to do that because he gave me a blank stare like, uh, because it was real simple to say it's in your head. He was actually conceptually right, but it was in more than her head. It was kind of like in the totality of her existence.
1: Mm-hmm. So there's,
0: the head is a processing unit because all these influences come in, and the brain takes it, whether it's unconscious, subconscious, superconscious, processes it, pushes it out. There's historical memory, cultural memory, religious memory. There's all these things that come in and shape it, and then different people have different output, and some people have better bandwidth, less bandwidth, better influences, worse influences. So it kind of is how we filter and create information. But in an athlete, they may think they have a meniscus tear, but they actually may have something going on with their stomach that impacts their meridian that runs through their knee. And if you get rid of the influences that are impacting the meridian, guess what? The meridian under a scan or the meniscus under a scan doesn't look the way it is. So there's countless people that I've helped that they've had their back, oh, I have a slipped disc, I have a herniated disc, I have all these problems. We go and deal with them collectively, and then all of a sudden the scan looks different. Or people that need shoulder surgery, they go in and get scoped, we do the work, and the doctor's like, yeah, but when I looked at this before on the MRI, you needed the surgery, now you don't. Well, what happens is you take away the influences, which includes the trauma, and all of a sudden the joint can be healthy. It shows up, whether it's under surgery or a scan, totally different. And so then when I started branching out from athletes and dealing with individuals and they were dealing with their trauma, it was interesting. They say, well, my mom had cancer. I have cancer. I'm like, hmm. okay. Well, tell me about what happened with your mom. Well- my mom was raised this way and then communism came right Mm -hmm. then my parents got married and were in communism and then my father hung himself because of things that were going on with communism and then mother became an alcoholic and you go through all these things and you're like well when i do an assessment of the history of what happened well okay Well, maybe mom had an issue because of the impact of communism and you had an impact of communism. Well, then freedom came and life looked totally different, but you had to navigate that. But that historical history through the generations of the family are set in that trauma. So what I found was with a lot of people is, and even back in England, they've studied health data of the well-being physically, mentally, emotionally of a mother since the 20s. And now with healthcare analytics and data, they can actually pick with almost 100% accuracy the disease states that somebody's going to have in their life based on their mother. Wow. So the mother is bringing an energetic DNA and a physical DNA coupled with the father to that so the interesting thing is is that when you look at trauma what i'm finding when i wrote this book the connected servant and i was looking at the people that were taking care of people that have trauma whether they're police officers firemen nurses physicians mental health advocates for refugees all these different people well they all had a historical level of trauma and so even though maybe they grew up in isis-controlled syria how they brought trauma trauma was okay for them to accept because it was normal quote in the vibration of the human being. So if mom and dad had trauma, it's now normal for us to have trauma. So it's not as big of a deal to have the trauma with us because we've had it vibrate in our system for so long. And so it's interesting when you start to deal with these things from trauma, I had a woman, and I did this event in Austria because I started getting all these calls from people over there through the people that work with our foundation. That mm-hmm. they they can't get over the trauma. It was, you know, war torn Africa, the Middle East. Uh, somebody that's still dealing with. Think about this: a sixty mm-hmm. something year old woman that had back pain for fourteen years. I said, "You have an issue with your mother." She wow. tells me her whole family, but her mother and her uncle died in Auschwitz. Wow! So I said. I said, you don't have a back issue. You have a mom issue because she's brought all that trauma from what happened to her family into you. We cleared the trauma. Her back pain went away. We gave her some yoga exercises, but it was mainly we cleared the trauma. Guess what? Two weeks later to this Sunday, because it was a Sunday when I helped her, the woman that referred me to her that works with our foundation said, she has a problem again. I said, guess what day it is? She said, Mother's Day. I said, what did I say? She had a problem with her mother. We cleared some more issues with her mother. Guess what? Back pain went away. And so these things that we see as heart disease, back pain, asthma, uh, knee pain, there is a physical element. I'm not going to say that there isn't. But most of the time, it's all these influences converging on a spot, and they create a physical trauma. But what happens when somebody has a really bad trauma that's held within them? It has to go somewhere to be dealt with. So what I find is, is it will find a physical way to show up. For some person, it could be a panic attack. For another person, it could be a bad back. It could be carpal tunnel, right? So every function of the body is in your hands. So And there's emotions tied to all those energy grids that push out of all your fingers. So if you're sad, or you feel controlled, or you feel overwhelmed, they sit within the grid coming out of your hand, and it will show up. So if I find that it's sadness that happened, let's say, you know, you're Irish, and it happened with your family back in Ireland. Well, Mm. if I can clear that all the way back through to the person today, guess what, the hand pain goes away. And guess what, they've gone through the trauma. And part of the problem with trauma with people is, is that when you talk about something enough, it starts to have an electrical grid that binds to the minerals in your body and and there's minerals that run and and work within your bloodstream. So every time you talk about it, it runs through your bloodstream. So we have roughly 75,000 miles of of bloodstream in our body of capillaries, veins, and arteries. So if every time you talk about something that's kind of hardwiring your bloodstream to have a charge that's tied to that topic, you can actually talk about something to a point where it goes too far. So part of it is, is why I use energetics is I try and stop it so that we can get, it doesn't mean we don't talk. It means the conversation starts to go somewhere else to a, conversation of possibility instead of a conversation of no possibility that's Mm. caught in the trauma. And I've been fortunate or unfortunate enough to work with some really severe trauma where, you know, horrible war-torn nations, brutal ongoing rapes and child molestation and just horrific types of things like that. Mm. And it's interesting to see how fast, when you look at every influence of a human being, that this conversation and this dialogue of being a, a victim, but they are, they're a victim for a reason because they're victimized. Right. But if you can get them out of that dialogue because you've moved things around and they can feel relief, then it's amazing. It, you know, it's really amazing. We were once working with a woman that had a lot of trauma, and I said, I think you really need a chiropractic adjustment. And she came from our facility in Virginia and went back, home in Florida, and I sent her to a chiropractor because she wasn't in a position, she had just come out of drug rehab um, to deal with it, and she went to the chiropractor because he said, because he helped the foundation out, he would do it for free. She had an adjustment in her cervical spine and had x-rays, and we realized that she had a reverse curve that was going the opposite way in her neck, and she got an adjustment, and she said it was like the lights went off, like all of a sudden, hey, what just happened to me? I don't have a desire to be depressed. So essentially her electrical system where her you know her brain stem connected into her brain from her her cervical spine was given space and that space allowed her have the freedom to have different conversations and thoughts and possibilities in life. So it's amazing how something that is a non therapeutic and from a counseling perspective from a traumatic perspective helps people have relief that then can be mixed with talk therapy dietary therapy movement therapy all these other therapies but a lot of times there's kind of like a dam that doesn't allow there to be an opening and because there's not that opening all the other things that should work or should have efficacy can't because they're held within this traffic jam and with trauma a lot of times it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven generations. I have a friend that's a natural physician, an allergy specialist, and she will tell you that allergies are normally held up to seven generations back wow. in the emotional perspective. So she's going back sometimes seven generations, clearing the emotion, and guess what? The allergy goes away. And so it's really interesting to see – how the historical aspect of us from a cellular, electrical, you know, chemical conglomeration, when you can kind of find the streams that are causing the imbalance, how many things open up? And so it, it's, it's really interesting how many people that accept trauma in their life or have trauma thrust upon them based on where they live, mm-hmm. that a lot of times when you get a download from them, Trauma has been around for a long time, either in their life or both sides of their family
1: tree, and it's kind of normal. So, yeah, I mean, that's just really fascinating. And I, um, I want to understand, so what is the, what do you think the reason is that that trauma is there? Like, what is it, what is it trying to protect people from, and how do you kind of, you know, navigate that? Because I, I think a lot of people can get um, quite entrenched in that, um, you know, as you said, in that sort of victim um, narrative, in many cases, rightly so. Um, But how, like, what does that look like for you to sort of take someone from this place of both acknowledging that suffering, but then, as you say, taking it from to a place of of possibility, because that seems like quite a delicate, delicate art form.
0: Well, I think the art form is, is really, I, I ask people kind of a cheesy question. If I was a genie and could grant you some wishes, what would it be? And they'll normally, some people go, oh, I've never thought about that. And then, so sometimes you actually have to do some therapy so they can answer the questions right and so for a lot of people the story is a security blanket Hmm. and because they don't know how to operate out of that story but more importantly the way other people treat them is based on those stories so the other people treat them so that they may step out of the conversation but they may step in the conversation the person says hey you're not ready for that you know and they're they're managing the story as much as the person is. So what I try and do as much as possible is to have other stakeholders, if it's family members, partners, whoever it is, hey, can they participate in the process? Because a lot of times they need as much healing as the other person. So if you have multiple people speaking a common language, it, because a lot of people don't want to let other people down. So if you can bring some of the stakeholders in, you allow them to have a a conversation together and develop a similar language and understanding of what's holding things back, Mm -hmm. then you can have a lot of freedom. So I like to do that. If that's not possible, what I really like to do is I like to show a person where the trauma and the stress show up in the body from a pain point, like... It hurts in your knee or your chest or it's sensitive there or try and breathe real quickly or do something intense physically. Oh, I'm limited. And then I use protocols to release that, and then they can breathe freer. The pain is gone. They have more movement. And then they're like, wow, that's how it's showing up physically. These are the stories that I have that have been running in the background. Now – and then I take people through kind of – visualization tied to energy points and i have them visualize so if they're looking at their heart energy how does that scenario look to you not good we clear their heart energy to a point they're like okay it looks good right so they feel good in that environment i take them to their stomach energy which has a lot to do with disgust and disappointment now the whole scenery the exact same visualization is no longer good So, we clear the stomach energy and we get it better. Now, we go to the spleen, which has a lot to do with worry, and now it changes again. But then we take them to the lung, which has a lot to do with self esteem. And because they've cleared the heart and the stomach and the lungs, or the heart, the stomach, and the spleen, now they go to the lung spot where they typically would have low self esteem. They feel powerful. So, I try and take them through these different scenarios of seeing the same thing but being influenced by different energy zones that shape the way they perceive things and then we can alter that energy zone which then coincides with the shaping of the way that they visually see things
1: got it got it yeah that's really interesting i mean something pop and i've been really fascinated by is this idea that yeah there are a lot of influences around you and you don't necessarily know what they all are and we certainly come from a you know marketing persuasion background and so we're very conscious of the of what the media is doing to people and how that's making them feel you know sort of cognitively um but there's this whole other um, dimension that you talk about that I haven't really heard many people speak about, certainly not as clearly as you, um, and that's the sort of environmental influences that can be affecting people and creating um, forms of micro-trauma. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that and some sort of tips people can, can look forward to um, to give themselves a shot sure. in terms of their environment?
0: Yeah, I mean, and, and I like to tell stories because I think through stories people understand. And one time sure. I was doing some seminars in, in southern France, and I got a call from an ambassador from... Uh, Slovakia to um, Monaco, yeah. and she said they had this kind of treasure that was this Shaolin monk that was dying. Could I help out? And I said sure. And so I was actually driving from the south of France to Austria um, in Hungary and Hungary, Slovakia. In that no, no, it was nice. Stopped in Tuscany a couple of days. It was nice. So, but but the interesting thing is, is that by the time I got back to Austria, he would they told him that he was going to die. He had a, a blood clot and kind of the connective aspects between his liver and his digestive tract. And he had lost a bunch of weight, had most of his small intestine cut out. And so within six days, he was out of the hospital completely. They told him he was going to die. His daughter was about to be born. Um, he thought he was going to be able to, so it was a big deal. I happened to be able to sit down next to him. So the gentleman was a, I've been told was a triple Ph.D., was a clinical director for a hospital, was also the highest level of Shaolin monk. So he supposedly should know about influences, right? So he said to me, how did you heal me? I pretty much know everything. I know medicine. I know psychology. I know energy healing. You know, I'm a Shaolin monk. You know, I spent from the time I was five until almost my 30s in the temple. I said, well, I started clearing your environment. Hmm. That's interesting. I started looking at everything within a couple feet of where you've lived most of your life. And then I kept kind of sweeping out further and further where you worked, where you spent your time, the hmm. hospitals where you worked. And I started clearing the energy, and this is kind of deep, but I started clearing the energy of where he spent his time, the hmm. water, the toxins, how they influenced him from the areas where he lived. And every day he progressed to kind of a, a mini miracle. So why is that important? Is that every day when he went into work, he made a decision whether somebody was healed with traditional medicine or energy healing. If they needed energy healing, he healed them. If they needed traditional healing, he passed them on to whoever the specialist was that the person needed. And sometimes they needed a blend. But the way that he did energy healing, he had to bring it in through a system and process it. And that's very hard to do, especially if you're doing a lot. And this guy was a high operator and did a lot of things and had important people like billionaires at one of his time and professional athletes. So he wasn't spending the time on a daily basis to cleanse himself the way he should. So every day he was he was absorbing these people's energy, sickness and trauma. And having to process, and he wasn't processing it. So this, he's a big guy. He doesn't look like a Shaolin monk. He was actually like an ultimate fighter type guy at the same time. He's tattooed. He doesn't look anything. I thought he was going to have like a Fu Manchu. You know, I'm thinking (laughs) from the movies of the Shaolin monk, right? But this guy was a big guy, right? Right. And what happened was is those micro traumas of every day of the people that he was interacting with weren't processed, and it essentially caused his body to shut down. And so that's a very extreme case, but let's just take the average person that goes into a bad work environment. They mm-hmm. come into work. Oh, it's coffee. They drink some cheap coffee that has all these things in the body. Oh, thanks for the bagel. It has genetically modified wheat. That creates its own little micro trauma in the body. Mm-hmm. Okay, you've got to get this proposal together because we have this big deal say it's an architecture firm, we got this big deal to do the design for this big hospitality company's launch. Mm. Okay, I'm missing my kid's soccer game because I can't go. Oh, Mm. it's our anniversary. I can't go. I've got to get this done. So, you know, you see it in the movies, this guy that's overworked, his family hates him, you know, the whole thing. But Mm. he's going through all these little successive traumas every day. and, And they're just like little wounds. But over time, if he does that wherever his kind of weak point is in his system either that he inherited or he's developed because of his existence that energy is going to go intact that but guess what happens the stress hormone cortisol when it finds a weak spot in a human being you know dr paracone that wrote the paracone prescription about skin talked about he called it the death hormone it goes and attacks where you're weak and breaks it down So let's just say he had cardiovascular problems. It's going to go and affect his valves. It's going to harden the arteries more. It's going to affect his pulmonary respiratory system. And so whereas another person, maybe it affects their shoulders, and they work out a lot to deal with the stress, but they get dry socket, and their shoulders don't work. Oh, I have a rotator problem. So you reach a tipping point, and it explodes. And so these little day-to-day traumas add up, and some person may have better genetics and resilience. Maybe it shows up as a heart attack. Another person doesn't. They're on the basketball court or the rugby pitch. Boom, the knee goes out. And they think, oh, well, he jumped up and dunked. He landed the wrong way. Not really. The reason he landed the wrong way is all the stress had set up kind of a, the way his body reacted to things, whereas right. one person may go like this and balance out. He didn't bounce out. It went this way, and his leg slipped out, and he blew his knee. And God. so that's that compounding interest of trauma.
1: Yeah, that's very real. <laughs> that's very real. It's something I've experienced. Uh, and um, yeah, I, it's an interesting one because you talk about guys that aren't necessarily um, you know, and I'm very much this archetype necessarily embodied. So you don't necessarily feel the stress in an emotional way, but you kind of know you you are. And that's certainly, you know, people have seen our Apex consultant journey. There's been some highs and lows. Um, and you know, my, my own dad and his grand, uh, his dad as well, at the age of roughly 55, had a, had a heart attack. Fortunately, my dad survived it, but it took his dad out. And yeah, there's certainly that, uh, that family history for us or that family story of, oh, well, you know, that's just kind of what's gonna, gonna happen. So it's, um, yeah, no, it's very real though, you know, what you're talking about. So what would you recommend? I mean, I guess the prescription is gonna be different for everyone. Um, I think, yeah. I I think there's some, I think there's some simple things that you can do. Okay.
0: You know, I think, you know, politics, religion, and the third thing would be diet, right? (laughs) Okay. People talk about diet a lot. This is what I like to say about diet. The traditional human being in the industrialized world eats way too much food and way too much low-quality food. So number one would be eating food closer to the way it showed up on the earth originally will make a drastic shift because your body does have a traumatic and stressful experience processing toxins. And we all, as we age, have the ability to have less toxins. I think the other thing is, is that what most people don't realize is, is that the digestive tract is way more intricate than we ever imagined. A lot of great stuff is coming out now about what the digestive tract does and your microbiome and all these interesting things. But the reality of it is, is it needs a break. Let's just take you go to uh, Philadelphia and have a Philly cheesesteak, right, mm-hmm. with a bunch of onions and peppers and cheese and steak on a big old bun and you slam that thing down and you chug a couple beers while you're having it, which everybody should do when they're in Philly, right? But the problem is, and for those, you know, Philadelphia is what I'm talking about in Pennsylvania, the problem is, is that that may take 15 or 16 hours to – digest because of all the different food groups and kind of the tastiness and flavors of the way they produced it right Mm -hmm. so if you eat something else within 15 or 16 hours prior to that maybe you have it for lunch and then you go and you have something for dinner well now maybe your digestive tract is pushed out 24 hours where it's going to be fully engaged in processing that food right so the problem is, is the digestive tract is overwhelmed but they are finding that there's so much serotonin melatonin all these great things that are produced in the gut that deal with brain health Mm. see there's that correlation if you don't give yourself a rest some people believe in just you know being vegan or eating more fruits and vegetables some people there's a i'm a big proponent of fasting and i'm in the process of doing some fasting myself because i need to kind of clean my house up a little bit so I think diet, eating clean, and understanding how your body digests things is huge because your gut is processing emotions. It's tied to your vagal nervous system. It is, you know, Your gut can send six signals to the brain, and the brain can send one. <laughs> so guess what? Hmm. If your gut is down with low-quality stuff or has been eating too much and can't get a break, it's hmm. impacting your brain health. If you're not dealing with your gut, you can't have efficiency and processing working here. So I would really, one, is take a look at your gut because in addition to that, I talked about allergies. Whenever you have an allergic reaction, it's not just a histamine response. It creates, allergies like to have friends with everything negative. So if you have negative emotions, it's normally going to attach to an allergy. If you have viruses and bacteria and all this other stuff that's lying dormant, if you have lots of allergic reactions, they like to have fun together. So, but guess one of the main reasons you have allergies, your gut. So you've got to get your gut cleaned up in order to get rid of allergies, and there are other processes. Mm-hmm. So that would be one. The second thing is, is a lot of people have talked about breath work. But mm-hmm. if 65% of the metabolic waste in your body is processed through breathing, you better learn how to breathe. If you can have 50% less dehydration, which num- one of the number one causes of stress is dehydration. Right. If you have 50% less dehydration from nose breathing, you need that. If you have two-thirds of stress from nose breathing, it should be predominantly nose breathing. If you have more nitrous oxide production and uptake of oxygen in the body from nose breathing, then you can have drinking beet juice and eating an arugula and kale you should probably be breathing the right way. But guess what? All the ancients throughout every different religious act in the world talk about breath. Mm. And so it's free, it's easy, but they don't talk about it in school. They don't teach you how to breathe in most places. So just breathing the right way or closing your right nostril and breathing in through your left calms your nervous system down and allows it to be brought back into harmony. So when you are having trauma or anxiety, you can just breathe that way. Another thing is if you take this finger, which is your pointing finger from your left hand and your thumb, squeeze them together and wrap it like this and hum or visualize or listen to some music you like. One of the top integrated physicians in the world, it's an elder statesman, Dr. Lee Cowden says, in four minutes that will drop the stress response by 60%. So pointing finger, thumb, grab it like this hum listen to a song you like visualize something powerful pray or whatever you're into i mean just imagine being able to drop the stress response about by 60 percent. you can then deal with stress and trauma a lot more efficiently and with the right vision than you can uh typically
1: love it yeah thank you for sharing that sean so yeah one of the things like um we're very passionate about, and certainly you do a lot of um, work here, and I think it's a good sort of segue to um, maybe what, you're, what your book's about, is that when you, when you realize that there are all these things influencing you, whether it's the media, the people around you, your family stories, um, you know, stressful work, there's this tendency that some of us have, and was kind of vacillated between the two, to kind of just want to retreat, just to shy away from it all, you know, and to, and to get out of it, and just to kind of, you know, go, go in a cave. Uh, so to speak. But at the same time, the, after a period of time, you kind of get pulled, you kind of get drawn back, right, to either share those learnings that you have, to share those gifts, or even just to sort of live more more fully in the world. And I know that you, um, you're you probably someone who's, who's very much the same, trying to reconcile this, uh, you know, this idea of wanting to give, but not, uh, but also needing to, to take care of yourself as well. So can you tell us a little bit about, um, I guess, that's one of your sort of core messages and the Um, you know, where people can learn more about that in the upcoming book and and basically what sort of prompted that?
0: Well, I I think part of the thing was when I was doing this event called Evolving Beyond Trauma in Vienna and I was one of the panelists and then did a healing program afterwards and we never anticipated it to be the way it was because I kind of just asked these women to fill up a room full of women because I'm helping so many people over there through the foundation. They had Heinz Fischer... Uh, humanitarian um, efforts, kind of his nonprofit or uh, human rights uh, institute sponsor, it, who is the former president of Austria, it really brought a lot of people in and a lot of amazing panel. But what I found was is most of those people had not dealt with their trauma, or I had actually started helping them with their trauma. And I was wondering, like, how can they actually be full tilt in helping people? if they're not really grabbing and dealing with their trauma. And you know, I remember the one woman who was one of the most brilliant I've ever met in my life um, really took me back by how powerful and brilliant she was. She says, I just like to go home with my hubby and drink a bottle of wine. And I was like, yeah, but that's not going to do it. And so I was trying to look at myself like, okay, how do I approach things? How am I always in the forefront? Like you always kind of have to be ahead of the game. I mean, it always works, but I think – it helps that if you're not looking at yourself mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually, from a movement perspective, um, you know, looking at your relationships or their nurturing, you're kind of going in reverse. But what I also found was, which was interesting was is there are people that did yoga, you know, whatever their religious belief, they would go to the temple or the synagogue or church. They were eating, right. They had enriching relationships, but they were still having a lot of tr- trouble. Mm -hmm. And I think Bruce Lipton puts it best where he calls it like the 95 and the 5%. The 5% is the physical, what you can touch and feel. The 95% is non-physical. If you really look at math, it's about 99.9% non-physical and about 0.01% physical. Right. But the way most people nurture themselves is with the 0.01%. And so when I kind of got in this game, really trying to help my wife with her back injury from playing tennis, and I started to understand stress, what I realized was, is I was actually doing most things right, and so was she. We were eating all organic. We were having a chiropractic body work, working out, swimming in the ocean. We were doing all these things. Why was there still a problem? Well, I started understanding what was in 99.9, right? (laughs) And so but part of what it was is that used to just be this like woo woo soup bowl of quantum stuff, right? right? And I said, "Well, that's great. There's dark matter. There's your astral progression. There's this that's you know, you have astrological disturbances coming in from other places." And the more people you talk to, you're kind of like, "What planet are you from? What drugs have you been doing? Are you crazy?" <laughs> right? Yeah. And a lot of people think, I'm that guy now. You hear what that guy's talking about? He's nuts. But <laughs> yeah. what I really did was I, I tried to put it in a way where I could teach people how to identify it on their own. And kind of if you think of a continuum like this is the physical and then we go out. So some people might have more problems here and some people might have more problems out in the quantum soup bowl, right? Mm-hmm. So what I tried to do is through energy testing, teach people how they could identify where they were in the continuum of influences. So they, a name to it or a label to it, start to understand it and see how it actually came in and influenced them. Because it's one thing to be like, Oh, it's in your chakras. Well, most people have no idea what that means. It's in your meridians. Okay. Well, it's in your liver meridian. Well, what does that mean? Like, is my liver failing? No. It just means there's disharmony and it needs to be balanced out. It's, it's too excessive or too um, little of energy flowing through it. But then when you start to get beyond that and you start to look at the things that people can't label and can't touch and feel, mm. they start to get really scared. So mm. what I've tried to do is take and identify and get teach people how to be able to identify, is it dietary? Is it family related? Is it You know, within your holographic expression. I have this whole assessment so that a lay person, once they understand how to energy test, they may not understand what it is, but they can put a finger on it and it calms them down. Hmm. Because they can put a word to the unknown. Whereas most people are like, meditate, go out into that space. I like to figure out what it is and move the energy around, and that's kind of my form of meditation. I identify of what the influences are I go and grab it I structure a clearing or a healing or a prayer or whatever people are into to move it so that they can see either relief in the way they think or the way they feel the way they express themselves or visualize things and the moment they can start to do that they can take a breath of fresh air and say oh I can see how it can work and some people kind of like I tell people I, I like to help people engineer miracles because sometimes somebody can get a miracle like that. And we've all heard of guru XYZ or some faith healer, somebody that did something amazing. Yeah. But what about the people that it takes a year or three years to get over their trauma, but they're over it and it took three years. So I think in the self-care model, you really have to look at everything and everybody has a unique recipe, but it's very hard to find If they can't identify things. So I try and empower people by learning how to identify it and see, you know, cold therapy is a big deal, but it may shock one person's system too much. You know, whereas sauna is a great thing, but that may not be what the person needs. But if they can work through some things, sauna might be the best thing or cold therapy might be the best thing. But what a lot of people do is whatever is fashionable, they jump into that and that's how they deal with things.
1: Got it. Yeah, I mean, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that's a really cool and functional way to help people first identify and put names to these things. I mean, you, a lot of times you sound like you're describing just describing me, you know, because <laughs> I'm much, much the same, you know, in terms of, uh, you know, I come from, you know, i you know, I, I just say, consider myself, a rational person, very scientific. But as you say, I mean, cutting edge science does say that 99% of reality is uh, blank space, you know, uh, or, or energy. And if you look at an, an yeah. atom and you see, you know, molecules, you'll see that it's made mainly a blank space. So it's really a fascinating dimension. I think we're kind of um, kind of cresting a new, uh, a new wave of this intersection between spirituality and, and science or what was traditionally spirituality, but may actually just be science you know, now as we can learn to measure these well, things. I,
0: mean, I think at the end of the day, if you really look at it all and you take all the labels away, right? Yeah. That it's all pretty close. It's just a lot of times, You know, I once helped a a pretty famous surgeon. They thought she had Lou Gehrig's disease and couldn't do surgery, and so she was able to do surgery again. And So later in her career, around when she was thinking about retiring, she called me up and said, hey, I need some of your voodoo. And I I started laughing. I said, I'm not giving you any voodoo. But she said, no, really, I'm having some pain that medical diagnostics show that there's nothing wrong, but I feel like I need knee surgery and I have a bad case of gout. And uh, I said, well, let me take a look at things. And it was, once again, it was her environment. It was the way the energy from the five hospitals she was working in expressed herself. When I moved the energy of the hospitals, her pain in her foot and her knee was gone. And she goes, you know, she just says, I'm retiring. And so the thing is, is that most, he's a physician that believes in all kinds of science. And she's one of the chapters in the book. Um, she knows that there's more out there and that, We all, if we communicate together, we can get far because she can teach me unlimited things, but I can teach her things. But if we work together, then we have two people's brilliance. I think what I call is a call to integration on a forward-moving basis. You know, it's fun. I sit down with people, PhDs from Eastern Bloc countries that try and disprove what I do, right? And it would be fun because they're way smarter than me. Like, I can't compete with them but I know how to access energy or the source or whatever you're into so I can get downloads of information to have a conversation that they're like, well, you know, you have a marketing degree That's my degree's in, how do you know this? And I said, because I had things thrust upon me that the traditional methods didn't work or for my family or people I cared about and I had to figure it out. Mm -hmm. So I think part of it is, is that you're a rational guy. I think you went to law school, right? Didn't yeah, you? yeah, Rusco, yeah. <laughs> so lawyers they need did. absolute. Right? They need absolute, right? Mm. And it's kind of like an engineer or a scientist, they want validated information so that x y or z takes place.
1: Yeah.
0: But what if x y and z is moving? What if it's not a constant? What if the speed of sound isn't always the same calculation? What if yeah. the speed of light isn't always the same calculation? What if the gravitational pull isn't the same calculation? Guess what? They found that they're not. There's a slight
1: variance. Well, yeah. I mean, to your point in terms of how law school served me, I was, uh, geez, maybe early, early to mid-20s, and I was so stressed at law school. I went and saw a GP, and he tested my cholesterol, and he said it was the highest he'd ever seen of someone my age, which is why I said, well, this, is gonna, this career is going to kill me. And so I dropped out, right? So that was five years in, um, and I kind of uh, – yeah, I call myself a, a dumb smart person, but I was smart enough at that point in time to realize there was some some elements that uh, you know. Well, now not... a lot of
0: people are lucky that a lot of people are lucky that you did that.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> <'Cause> yeah,
0: but <laughs> you, you're you're a, you're a person that like my books about a person of service, and you're a guy that yeah. consults with business owners, helps them achieve their goals, and increase more efficiencies, and have a better life and freedom. And I think you're a perfect case in point. I'm the same way, where. If we don't nurture ourselves, we're missing out on what we could actually deliver to the people that we want to serve. But I think the thing is, is we have to be really open to look at that whole continuum of how human beings exist. And it can be scary because people don't want to hear that, you know, I once had a woman that I helped with cancer and she got out of the hospital, her sister called me. And this shows you how much humans influence. So she, she's cancer-free, like, oh, wow, it's a miracle, right? So two weeks later, her cousin comes and tells her, that's crazy. Not some guy from Florida in America can't heal you. Guess what? Two weeks later, she was back in the hospital with the same symptoms. Wow. So her sister called me back and said, can you help her out? And I said, sure. Do me a favor and tell her to quit smoking cigarettes and quit listening to your cousin." right? So the next day they were going to do surgery. Oh, well, everything checks out differently and they let her out and she was fine. And the reason that I'm saying that is, is that the power of influence is so huge, that it can actually create disease states to reactivate themselves like that in a human being. It's just like the placebo. You know, Dispenza talks about, you know, you are the placebo. And he talks about, they talk about in the they talk about in the book how this guy was given a, like a test drug for cancer therapy, and so he took the drug, and then he heard about like on the news that it was all a placebo that wasn't real, and guess what? All the symptoms back. That influence like, oh, that really wasn't there and it didn't work. Boom, that's how fast. We can turn on stress and trauma like a light switch. I can take people where they are fully in high level of pain change a scenario in their brain clear an energy zone they're out of pain and they're like oh wow i've had hip pain for seven years i get rid of the pain then i say do me a favor visualize this again the back the hip pain comes back that fast because i created a scenario because i understood what was influenced so i i make them visualize a scenario that brings up all those same stories and emotions the hip pain comes back i go okay let's do this drill again pain goes away so you can actually turn symptoms that are physical symptoms that are showing up in pain and limit the physical ability you can turn them on and off like a light switch you just need to know how to turn on and switch. but we don't like to do that because what we'd like to do is say well you know i got hit when i was playing sports and my doctor said that it you, once again it's which is realistic it happened mm-hmm. but you know there's a doctor sarno that is passed away that, you know, did work on the back and then it went to everywhere else where he was showing that it was predominantly, he called it tension myoneuro syndrome, which was the nerves and the oxygen exchange in the soft tissue were being influenced by stress, which was creating a labeled disease state, rotator cuff, carpal tunnel, low back, you know, meniscus, Achilles, you know, uh, plantar fasciitis. And really what it was, was it was just stress response in the body going to a weak link in the chain, creating something that had a medical code that then came up, and then that's what they said you have the label of, and that's what he had. He taught seminars of how to break that stress down, and guess what? All those symptomatic things of these kind of, you know, popular carpal tunnel, meniscus, uh, rotator cuff things, torn labrum. On a scan, they had a tear. He got rid of the stress, It was influencing them, and they had no pain and could function properly after that point. So, you know, there's a lot of science behind what I'm saying. There's a lot of ways to get to it. I just think, you know, it's something like every 60 seconds, somebody gets Alzheimer's or dementia. Just think of that statistic. Look at the statistics in the next 15 years. They're saying one out of five or less boys in the industrialized world will be born with autism. There aren't enough servants right now to serve. And if we don't have people that can be fully engaged, how are they going to take care of these statistical changes that modern medicine and miracles and artificial intelligence and robotics and you know, with their neurosystem with artificial intelligence may be the solution, but what if it isn't? So we're at the mercy of the people that provide a service, and they really have to be operating at the highest level. And I was just really blown away by how many different groups of people weren't really receiving the service and we go to those people who need the help but they're sometimes more wounded than the people who are helping and that's really why i wrote the book because i think they deserve the help that they need
1: well thank you for uh for doing what you do sean we um, really appreciate it and um so yeah what's uh i guess yeah when the book's ready to go we can put a link um put a link um, underneath it and um where else where else can people learn more about you if they want to and to Sean's world, I mean, it's such a, yeah, such a broad way of... Well, wave. I mean, the one, you, know,
0: you, know, you know, one way to look at the book is book.connectedservant.com. Mm-hmm. Um, they can go there, or they can go to www.tedsfoundation.com, which is a nonprofit that my wife and I started, which helps people overcome obstacles that traditional methods haven't worked. Mm-hmm. So that's really the places they can find me. Um, you know, I, like I said, I wrote the book it never would have been the book that I thought I was going to write. But when I saw these people that were really putting their time and effort into really helping people that really need help, I'm like, man, they need help too. So I'm just trying to raise awareness and hundred percent of the proceeds from the book go to the foundation so we can help those people
1: that need the help. I think it's a very intelligent approach to it, to deal the healers and let that, uh, let that expand out from there. So, all right, Sean, well, yeah, thank you so much for your time. And um, yeah. I'll, uh, I've got a lot to, to take away from that. I'll be- Yeah, well, I appreciate it. Thanks so much. All right. Thanks, Sean. Well, no problem. Thanks, Gavin. See ya. So, we hope you enjoyed this episode of the Higher Development Podcast. If you want to access free resources and go deeper with us, head to highdevelopmentpodcast.com
0: As a special thanks for listening to each new episode, we continually update this site with podcast notes, exclusive discounts, free courses, you name it. And as an added bonus, this is where you can submit any questions you may have for myself, Gavin, or any of our featured guests so what you learn doesn't have to end here. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and we look forward to seeing you in the next one.